0: In Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure-dome decree.
1: Where alf the sacred river ran, through caverns measureless to man, down, down to a sunless sea. sea.
0: El, welcome back it's to Next Scene Way Way Podcast. Way the podcast taking on pop culture one scene at a time. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your other host, Brian. And we're back with another guest choice. In particular, uh, these these fine gentlemen our lucky guests. Wanted to talk about the 1980 blockbuster Xanadu. And so, with us with us to talk about Xanadu is from the Better Off Dead minute. It's Curtis Blaze.
2: Hey, top billing for me! Hi, everybody.
0: <laughs> there you go. You've made the big time. And uh, featuring. All the way from, <laughs> from Indiana Jones Minute and their, their wonderful Patreon show, Anything Goes, it's Pete Mummert. Hey, thank you, Sean. Oh. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks. Thanks for coming, Pete and, and Curtis. And uh, both of you jointly uh, together reached out to me to, to suggest this film. Uh, this, is, um, this is a film. This is, <laughs> this is a movie that was made and, and released in theaters. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty basic story. Uh, it's uh, one of the, the muse of mythology comes down to earth to inspire an artist, and uh, an art gets made. I think that pretty much, you know, sums it up. But it's, as with most things, the, the interesting bits are in the details. <laughs> um, and, and one detail of this film is that uh, John Wilson creator of the Golden Raspberry Awards, AKA the Razzies for the worst in cinema uh, (laughs) says that this film at a double feature with can't stop the music were the inspiration for those (laughs) awards. Um, This is a film that does not have the the greatest of reputations, I would say, but it does have its, its followers. It has its fans and we've got at least two of them with us today. Maybe (laughs) we'll have more. By the end of the show, um, so Can let's, I jump in really quickly. Yeah, please do. Stuff?
1: I I I would like to preface everything by saying that uh, I feel like we have a very rigid way of evaluating movies in our society. Like mm-hmm. we ex- we expect certain things. Like we expect, <laughs> you know, there's going to be a linear. This goes from point A to point B, and there are going to be three acts, and we have a resolution in this scene. And I think this movie becomes even more magical if you step outside of those constrictions a little bit.
2: Hmm. I agree. We've got a lot of cinema sins uh, right now going on in society, and I don't think that's fair to movies like this. I think they were being more creative than uh, yeah. just adhering strictly to what cinema sins would not like about movies.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's fair to say, and I think that's and and, and rewatching this recently, I, w- I I thought of the the film we covered last time when we were talking about Hudson Hawk in terms of. It's fantasy. It's, mm-hmm. it's not supposed to be realistic. It's not supposed to be literal. I didn't necessarily right. pick up. I, I thought the storytelling was pretty straightforward. The structure seems pretty normal to me as a film. So I didn't kind of get the angle that, that you're, you're talking about. But I did get like, yes, there, there are issues if you think about it too much, but you're not supposed to think about it too much. You're supposed to, <laughs> you, this is, you're supposed to feel it. And it's mm-hmm. got a lot of feeling. And I do think it succeeds um, now, in, I- in that respect.
3: I just want to hop in. I, I just watched this uh, a couple of nights ago. My first time ever seeing it. Now, a few years ago, I had my appendix removed, and I thought that was a painful night. <laughs> no, it turns out a couple of nights ago watching this might have been worse. <laughs> but here's the good news. I like where your head's at on evaluating this movie. I'd like to hear your thoughts. You two seem to love, like it. And listen, hey, you know what? It's at least a movie. That we can discuss.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, well, wow. so, so I think that's a good segue. So, so, Brian, you mentioned first watching it recently. <laughs> just um, watched
3: it. Never seen it. Just a couple nights yeah.
0: ago. So, so, so Pete and Curtis, you guys give us, what's your history? Did you see this in the theater when first released? What's, what's your history with the film?
2: It came on, it came on TV, like in the early eighties sometime. It was like a movie of the week situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I watched it for the first time. I always, you know, the music was just all over the radio. Everybody was, you know, listening to the songs from the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. There were like three hits off this album. And when it came on the uh, when it came on TV, I tried to watch it. I was about twelve. I just didn't get. It. <laughs> <laughs> they got to the they got to the alley scene where they come out of the painting, and I was just like, I don't at
0: all. <laughs> you hadn't discovered drugs yet, so you didn't understand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was also this thing going on where everybody's hair was so fluffy and uh, <laughs> so, not, so not Iowa that I was a mm-hmm. little creeped out by it as a kid. It was like, oh, this is way outside of my experience. People don't have fluffy hair like that. <laughs> so I, uh, I probably the first, the first time I watched it, I watched it all the way through. <sighs> not, not really into romantic comedies when I was 12. Mm-hmm. There were a few good ones around at the time that I liked, but it was in re- reevaluating this movie in my twenties that I learned watching it on uh, VHS. Hmm. And that would be in the '90s where we watched it as a gag, and it, it, you know, and after we got done watching it, it was like, well, that was a movie. <laughs> <It could've, laughs> there was a there's a definite. I, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this later when we talk about the music. There's a definite scene where it could have ended, and that would have been the perfect ending and Mm -hmm. then they kept going Mm -hmm. but other than that it was like it just keeps escalating further and further into blue screen fantasy all the way through just getting more and more fun (laughs) that's probably more than my first experience with the movie kind of talk i'll let i'll let uh pete go now
1: okay oh that was great yeah i had a uh, one of my best friends in college adored this movie and we always made fun of her about it like it was just we (laughs) made fun of her relentlessly. And I had never actually seen the movie. It was just fun to make fun of Mm her. And so at some point, uh, you know, maybe late nineties, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to see how bad this really is. And I turned it on and I don't know what happened to me. Like, I don't know. It it was just a weird experience, but I was like, wow. (laughs) I I, kind of think Marisa had something here. This is, it was just, (laughs) it was just, I think fun and is kind of a gentle, nostalgic sense of just kind of fun and goodness. And it, it just at that point kind of captured my heart.
0: Well, I mean, I, of, I yeah.
1: fully acknowledge that it's campy and it has a lot of things that are big no-nos in movies and maybe a lot of it doesn't make sense, but there's something about it just as a, a time capsule and a sense of joy in it that I think is just pretty magical. I, I do agree that it's
3: kind of like a sincere film. -hmm, You know, -hmm. even though I didn't, I didn't love it. I mean, it 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 does. You, I think you're definitely right about that. I think it's kind of just something could be pleasant, easy about watching it. You know, it's not. It it just, yeah, it's sincere. I guess is really the only way to to explain it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I will say it's. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, it it it, (laughs) it's growing on me. So 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 my history. I actually saw this in the theaters first release in in 1980. And it's weird. And I've 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 mentioned this before um, in other podcasts or other episodes that for some reason good like the really good or or great movies that I saw growing up. I don't remember seeing I don't know. (laughs) I don't know when I first saw Alien or when I first saw Repo Man or anything like that. But I remember seeing this in the theater. I remember the bad films and I remember, (laughs) you know, not liking it. But I think as you know, as you said, Curtis, like I, I was probably too young at the time. I was not a big ELO fan at, at the time and not an Olivia Newton-John fan. So the music didn't appeal to me. And and I was too young for romance and, and kissing movies. So I wouldn't have liked that. And and I don't think I saw it again until about a month ago or maybe a few weeks ago when, we, when you guys oh. mentioned it for the podcast. And I'm like, OK, well, you know, I remember not liking it, but that's about it. So let me watch it. And I I watched it and I'm like, OK, like I can see there's some good things here, but I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a good film or, or say that I liked it. And I, I saw a lot of the flaws, um, mm-hmm. particularly there's a lot of technical flaws in, in the production. And then I was watching it again this morning in preparation. And I'm like, I'm am I am I liking this? Am I getting it? am I am I actually enjoying myself? it's It's kind of growing on me that. Yes, there's a lot of technical issues and there's some story issues and you know there's things going on, but it it does work on a lot of levels. It is, you know, it is a nice that kind of story that a muse coming down from heaven, inspiring the artist. It is Gene Kelly's last film. It's nice to see him and, and see him mm. dancing. That's always a pleasure. So I think I'm kind of in the middle, but um Wow, yeah. I'm, I'm coming over. And particularly, <laughs> and, and I, I want to talk about the, the music and the, and the musical numbers later. I think, but I will say as a whole, those work. I almost think like if instead, of, instead of a 90-minute film, if this had just been a 60-minute music video, if they like cut <laughs> out all the talking bits and it was just <laughs> the musical numbers, like I might give this an enthusiastic thumbs up. But
2: you wouldn't, okay, first of all, I just, I just want to say, more than a month ago, Pete and I noticed that you were tearing down this film that we love, and which is <laughs> which is why we challenged you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And now you're telling me that you haven't even seen the movie <laughs> since you were maybe six <laughs> 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 until we have, until after we challenged you. So uh, what's up with that? Take you... yourself back to a month, to a, more than a month ago, and tell me why you hated this movie then. Sean.
0: Sean. Um, well, I, I had, I mean, I had <laughs> seen it. At least I had seen it. it. It had been many decades, but I had seen <laughs> it previously. Um, and I think, if the witness
1: will please answer the question. <laughs> okay.
0: I just remember not liking it, and I, and I, and I will defend. I think that's a fair. I don't know. Like I don't like bananas, is and it's probably it because been of its- it's been even longer since I saw the movie in 1980. It's been even longer since the last time I ate a banana. But you know, like if you came to me and said, "Well, you haven't eaten a banana in 30 or 35 years. How do you know you still don't like them?" And I'm like, "Because I know. I'm not going to go every few years eat a banana and say like, "Do I like it now?" No, I will continue to not like bananas. And I and I couldn't I would have continued to not see not like this movie
1: see i feel like i had an advantage in not seeing it young i -hmm. think if i had seen it young i might have had a very similar reaction to you yeah but i feel like i've seen this movie a few times and they've always been sort of dark times in my life and you know these are sort of mean days that we're living in right now and there's something about this movie that is just so wonderfully kind you know i mean it's a good natured might be the the, kindest uh character ever in a movie and there's nothing mean-spirited about any of it it's just sort of I don't know. It's, it, to me, it's just kind of a nice breath of fresh
0: air. Yeah. That, well that, so I'll, I'll throw out a question for discussion. Who's like who's the bad guy? Who's the antagonist? So the main characters, we've got this couple. We've got Sonny, this artist. Kira, uh, played by Olivia Newton-John, is his muse. We've got Danny, who's a, an old clarinet player from the big band days, played by Gene Kelly. Like, is there a bad guy? Is there an antagonist in the film. I never would thought it, about would, it that way.
1: Would the antagonist just be circumstances? Like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think, I think it's
3: just his life right now. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And the the sort of the restrictions on Kira leaving Mount Heraclon. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. That's what it would be. Yes. That right. her not being able to uh, stay with him. That's kind of like their conflict,
2: I guess. Right. Well, and that would have, that would have been fleshed out more in the original script.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm hmm.
2: Before it became an explosion of blue screen,
0: right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's kind of there's there's Danny's boss, like in terms of like who could be a bad guy, but even he's not so bad. And it's and one of the things I still don't like about the film is, uh, or sorry, Sonny, Sonny is really unsympathetic. He's' a. He's a, jerk, like yeah. a it's like, wait, so you're a painter, and you're getting paid <laughs> to paint. Like you're, you're an artist getting paid to do art and it's like, okay, well, no, but he's, it's a job. He has to paint what they tell them to paint. He can't do whatever he wants, but it's like, okay, but this is putting food on the table. It puts a roof over your head. It pays for paints and and pencils and chalk. So do the day job. And then now you've, you've got support so you can do the art, you know, nights and weekends. So then you can pursue the art, but, and they even like, they even say something, I forget the exact quote, but. They even reference him as like the fantis, the fastest painter. Like mm-hmm. so he's got a certain number of works he needs to do for the job. If he's so fast, just bang those out, and then he has like he should have plenty of free time and plenty of money to support his art. So like even the the worst guy in the film, supposedly his boss, is enabling him to do art for a living. Like it's he's not a bad yeah, guy. Boss, he's a good guy.
2: Yeah, his yeah. boss is a good guy. Sunday's yeah. a yeah. jerk. He yeah. quit once and then his boss hired him back. And then he yeah, why would again, he hire back? And he made it. And he was a jerk. Yeah.
0: yeah. And he was yeah. a jerk
2: when he quit.
0: Yeah. He
2: like fired himself and threw himself out.
0: Yeah, he could have just been listen, you know, I need to pursue my dreams, you know, thank you for the opportunity, but it's time like he, you could quit without being a jerk. So that I mean that's that's probably the biggest stumbling point I have to fully liking this film is the main character Sonny, yeah is, is a real jerk he's completely i completely unsympathetic
1: I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I do think he's somewhat of an unsympathetic character, but I also feel like if you look at this more like this whole thing is sonny's daydream mm-hmm. like it's a it's a fantasy because not, nothing nothing in this movie <laughs> would ever happen ever <laughs> in the world <laughs> yeah. we live in yeah, and I feel like the whole thing is sort of an escapist fantasy for Sonny, huh
0: it's the I musical mean, a rich Hall. guy who.
1: like i like everything like it's not he doesn't actively go out and achieve any of these things you know like he has this rich guy come and gives him the biggest canvas imaginable to paint you know to work on with this auditorium and the Mm -hmm. woman of his dreams just happens to skate up and kiss him it's sort of he's not an active protagonist in a lot of ways no
0: right so he's 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 <laughs> yeah, like Indiana Jones that. Never... In, that, in that respect. That the movie happens the same way no matter what he does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: It's Oof. almost like he tore up his work at the beginning and then uh, went on a bender. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's kind of that's the way the, see
2: the...
3: it. Oh, sorry, Brad. Oh no, no, that no that that's I like that 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 um that's a a, a nice read on the film. You're right that he can't he tears it up and he ah, forgets all this and he just goes crazy. <laughs>
1: But That's kind of the original. I mean, if if you want to go crazy, the original source material, it's a very famous story how when Samuel Coleridge wrote the poem that that, that they based Mm -hmm. the name of the title of the the film on, he was he had just taken opium and he was having what he describes as the most magical dream of his life. And he, he wakes up and starts to write it down. And some guy comes to the door and interrupts him. And so he, he's only able to write down the first couple of parts of the poem. And he, like he says, there are hundreds of lines that he was never able to write because this guy interrupted him and he couldn't remember them. And I feel like that sort that of... That is so the
2: right. plot of Xanadu.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there maybe the story of the making of Xanadu, but... <laughs> there
3: we go. Yeah, I, I I was going to say, though, I do like the individual parts of the movie. Like, I, scene by scene. Forget Forget taking it as a whole... I, there's certain parts that are nice. There's certain scenes, the, the musical numbers we could talk about later. Uh, I, the visuals I, I think are pretty mm. cool. Um, that's, that's stuff that I, I did enjoy, just taking it, forget the story, forget all that. Just watching,
1: I enjoyed. What yeah, and it? I think visual, oh, go ahead, Curtis.
2: Oh, what is it? I mean, because when you take each part of it, each part of it is, is enjoyable in its own you know, way. Not even in its own way, it's just straight up enjoyable. What is it mm-hmm. that you don't like,
3: Brian?
2: <laughs> That's wow, he's, he's really coming down
3: on us about <laughs> going to explain it. Um, <laughs> you know, what? I just, it just kind of, I guess the story, I, I wasn't that interested. And it, I mean, it is, it is off the wall. Looking at it as a, as a fantasy, it definitely works better. I was just watching it and just like, I just wasn't, I just wasn't interested. It just didn't like hold me at all. Uh, the visuals did some of the musical numbers I did like watching and I could have just taken that. I don't know, Sean, if you mentioned if this was just a 60 minute uh, music video type, yeah. I could almost see that working. Forget the story, just show the music.
2: So the story is what's, uh, yes. the story is what's weak. What, what makes you cringe though? I mean, what is it? Is it because some of the blue screen bleeds through some of the time? Is it? I don't
3: know. Ooh, Hi- man, you're like my therapist. Hi- well, let me think about this here.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I, no, I don't oh, mind you know that. I got to go back to my childhood here to really dive deep <laughs> with this with, uh, man. <laughs> Let's see. Dude, that's you know what? That's a good question. No, I think the visuals were fine. The bleeding, the blue screen, that doesn't bother me. I agree with you, like the cinemason stuff, I don't care about like any type of quote unquote plot holes. I guess yeah, I guess the story is my number one complaint. It story just is number didn't
2: one. Be, grab I, I'm me. only I'm only being this hard on you because you compared it to um, getting your appendix ripped out. <laughs> <laughs> and and the appendix uh one. Yeah. More favorable after that.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say the number one thing would be the story. And that the to story me that seems like weak. yeah the
1: fairest possible criticism
2: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's fair it is a uh, at its heart are we calling it a romantic comedy is it a rom com it's not really a comedy is
0: it yeah I, I don't think it's <laughs> I'm a like, rom- like where where is the comedy <laughs> I think it's, it's Oh no, no yeah
2: you're right I never thought about that it's so a, romantic a romantic fantasy drama?
1: see I think I think of it more along the lines of the the great old musicals you know you look at some of the stuff like Footlight Parade or. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm totally yeah. on the same page as you are yeah. about
1: that. And well, it just, it's, especially, none, especially with I mean, the, the
2: obvious staging Yeah,
1: yeah some of these and numbers. It, and none of the things in those movies make sense. It's just fun. It just, it makes sense if you look at it as kind of a, a crazy opium dream.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's some of that... I wonder if... Go on. Well, I was just going to say, oh, some wait. of the similarities, I think, are on purpose. Like some of the choreography... Uh, mm-hmm. mimics or repeats things that Gene Kelly did in the forties and fifties and earlier films. Yeah. And if you watch those talking about plot, those, those, those films are very light on plot. Cause if you have a 90 minute film and you've got 45 minutes of that are, or at least 45 to 60 minutes of that are musical numbers, you don't have a lot of time for plot and dialogue. And typically, yeah. you know, these aren't operas like the songs generally don't advance the plot. So these are really like sitcom, you know, yeah, sitcom thirty-minute yeah. plots that are stretched out into ninety-minute movies based on the musical numbers. Well,
1: these that's musical true. numbers weren't even written for the movie; <laughs> like they were written before they did the movie. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
2: true. But it's I... not like it's not like an opera where you're telling the story or or acting out the story through mm-hmm. the song. The song yeah. stops right. for you to say the same thing over and over again for the next.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And this movie in particular is kind of like... Um, oh, what was that movie? What was that popular movie? Where uh, they, they already had the music and they just built the plot around it?
0: Like Mamma Mia? Like oh, Mamma yeah, Mia. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> well,
3: do you, you talk uh, about the
1: visuals too. I think visually this movie is spectacular. I agree with that. Totally and agree I think with that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan personally of sort of golden age Hollywood, you know, the architecture. Mm-hmm. The cinematography, and I love especially, you know, like line Modern, and this movie has that in spades. Like, it's a very, very stylish movie. Whether you like the style is another question. But
2: Whether you like the style. The director, director it's is got a the lot one that won the Razzie. The first annual Razzie the <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> worst director. Yeah. So talking about uh, the director, so this is directed by Robert Greenwald. And this is pretty early in his career in directing. So he had done uh, two previous TV movies. One is Katie Portrait of a Centerfold uh, <laughs> with, with Kim Basinger. And the other I one was sh- sh- was uh, Sharon Portrait of a Mit- Mistress. <laughs> 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 um, oh, I guess
2: we're lucky that this didn't end up being called um, uh, Turpichore. Turpichore. Yeah. Portrait of a muse.
0: Yeah. Um, and then so later, like looking at some of the more recent stuff he's done, he's he's, he's been doing a lot of documentaries. Um, so he directed Suppressed, colon, The Fight to Vote, uh, another film mm. called Making Making a Killing, colon, Guns Greed in the NRA, and Walmart, colon, The High Cost of Low Price. Um, is
2: this literally so this the only movie he made that doesn't have a colon in it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's
0: like, been yeah. Studio execs,
1: <laughs> you're not getting your goal.
0: Well, I thought it was. It was. There are there a couple of interesting things, so I will mention um, a film which I don't even know. Like I've seen it on cable. I don't know if it I've ever made it into theaters. But uh, in 2000, steal this movie, which is a, a bio, biography of Abby Hoffman, um, mm, based sure. on the he. Public, he had a book called "Steal This Book," with um, mm-hmm. but the film has Vincent D'Onofrio as Abby Hoffman and Janine Garofalo as Anita, his wife, um, and that, that's a that's a fun little film. I would suggest people, you know, especially if you're into the kind of the counterculture and um, and the '60s and and Abby Hoffman and what was going on um, with political activism at that time. I would say it's worth checking out. Um, it's also notable for Donald Logue. As Stu Albert. Uh, Albert was a contemporary of Albie Hoffman with the Yippies in the, the anti Vietnam um, war protests. So I know some of our uh, listeners are big Donald Logue fans. So they might want to check that out. And then he also directed in 1993, uh, Greenwald directed Hear No Evil, uh, starring Marley Maitland. An interesting connection there. That's the, I think it's the first film produced written by Danny Rubin who is probably best known as the writer of the story that became groundhog day. Wow. So there's a little wow. connection there. That's the connection. It's wow. all connected. It's all connected. Yeah. But going back to talking about the visuals and I didn't even notice any issues with, I know with special effects. It's it's 1980 things aren't looking like they do today. I didn't notice any particular issues with, with green screen, I did. There's a great animated sequence done by Don Bluth, a uh, former, and this was in kind of in between times. He was a former Disney animator who went out on his own. His first, you know, his first film, um, The Secret of Nim, would come out in 1982, but uh, maybe best known uh, today to gamers as the, the animator be- mm. behind uh, Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. Um right. so that and was this, like like visually that's a really nice sequence.
1: And it looks exactly like Dragon's Lair. Yeah. Like it's amazing. Oh it does it his awesome.
0: his style is distinctive
2: whether
1: yeah. it's
2: Dragon Slayer or this or did he do um Sword in the Stone was that also him?
0: I don't know. You know I I I don't have his whole IMDb in front of me but I would guess yes based on the based on the style. Yeah.
2: And definitely and definitely the uh, the black cauldron.
0: Mhm. Yeah. And then he would go on to uh, work with uh, some no-name, uh, this producer called Steven Spielberg, I think is how it's pronounced, <laughs> uh, to make an American tale in 1986. So, oh. um, so that's, you know, oh, they, sure. got, they got some talent there mm-hmm. doing the, the animation.
2: Which is the, as far as I can tell, based on internet uh, criticism, the most hated part of the movie.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. A, it, there's no... It is sort of a jarring
2: it, it comes up every time as being completely unnecessary and just stops the movie, brings the gr- the movie to a grinding hole, and just makes everybody go, What why is this what's going on?
0: Hmm? <laughs> yeah, and I've I've got issues with that scene. I've as I've said I, I love I love the animation. I think that's really good the 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 song though, and just like what what that scene does to the, the film I have issues with. Yeah. Um
2: that's interesting
0: yeah and I'll, I'll kind of hold on to that for now i really just have kind of one big question on the film and i don't know if this you know how this changes your interpretation of the film as how literal or how fantasy is this is this a fever dream kind of thing mm-hmm. um so at the end there's a big musical number it's uh kira played by olivia newton john is is dancing and and she her 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 backup dancers or backup singers are her sisters, the eight other muses. And then in the end they go up to, I don't know, where to muses Valhalla or Olympus or wherever muses go. They, they rise up to the heavens and Sonny is left alone. And a wait, you know, and, and Danny calls over, Hey, bring my buddy a drink. Waitress comes by, he looks up and the waitress looks like Kira. Do you think is, is that Kira or is he just now he sees that in like every beautiful woman he sees kind of thing?
2: No, love is just based on hotness, nothing else.
0: <laughs> well, she could be spiritually hot. Um, <laughs> not just well. What well, if, and, what is, no, what isn't is isn't that supposed to be I'm sorry, her? On. Yeah, I think you could read it both ways. Well, that's I think what I wonder. Is, is is that her? Is that not her?
2: I think in order to deal with no longer being magic, Zeus had to erase her memory.
0: Yeah, and okay. put her on she, put her on the earth as a her. mortal. Yeah, because yeah, she doesn't seem to recognize him. It isn't like wink. I, I snuck you know I yeah. snuck out. Um, you know I fooled my parents and I snuck out and now I'm pretending to be this waitress so I can be with you. Like she she seems to. I mean it's, and it's really quick, just a few seconds at the very end of the film. But like she seems to really not recognize him. Yeah,
2: this happens in a this happens in a bunch of movies though. Where, hmm.
0: yeah, it it, it actually I don't it ma- have any good examples. It, well, it That's made no me think it. of the um the remake of Bedazzled with Liz right. Hurley and Brendan Fraser, where at the end he meets like there's a new neighbor moving in next door, and it's a woman, and they kind of have chemistry, and they hit it off at the end, and she's played by the same woman that his character that Fraser's character has been pursuing the whole film. And then like his big, you know, emotional awakening is realizing he doesn't really like this woman. He doesn't even know her. He's just been pursuing her because he thinks he's supposed to, or he thinks he likes her. And then like he meets someone he really does connect with, uh, you know, not just on a physical level. And it's played by the same actress where he's like, Oh, do I, you kind of look like someone I know. So it mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of that it kind of brought me back to a question I have is so Kira is the same muse who inspired Danny back in the Mm forties. Why doesn't he recognize her now? And you can say, well, it's been 35 years. So yeah, he's grow old memories fade, whatever. But we see him, he picks up the Glenn Miller album where he's playing, where he's Mm -hmm. playing, Danny's playing clarinet and and Kira singing. And that's got pictures of Kira. So doesn't he make the connection between the picture in the album, and then when he meets her?
2: He and the explanation is the
0: she only looks, she looks the same to us, because it's all Kira, but she can take different faces, you know, it's not literally the same person oh. in that world.
2: See, that, that isn't how I interpret it. She does literally look like the person on the Glenn Miller album, mm-hmm. and there is a scene where he's like, don't I know you? After, huh? uh, yeah. after, um, after, they uh, dance yeah, after they dance, mm-hmm. And I think it's just, you can, you can put it down to him being 35 years older and clearly she looks like that woman,
0: mm-hmm. but there's
2: no way that mm-hmm. can be possible. Mm-hmm. But still the, resemb- the resemblance is so strong that he has to make himself half ask just to make sure. Yeah. And, and that is totally there. Recognition of her is there.
1: How does, she, how does he recognize
2: she her She says, at... "Oh, I don't know. you
1: know, I, I don't think so. How does he recognize her at the end? How does he
0: recognize the earthly Kira at the very end? I think it's I think it's just by looks. like this waitress brings him a drink and he looks up and he's like, "Hey, you look like the woman who just disappeared off the stage." <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> but see, I, I just took it as, I mean, that's just what he it's given the character what he's been pursuing. It's like making him happy. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, it's based on looks. That is pretty bad uh, right now. But that's what I thought. It's just (laughs) if if, either it's actually her or it's just what he it's just his joy manifested in this woman now. So he gets Mm -hmm. to have her at the end rather than lose her.
2: Well, I never thought about that interpretation before where she just looks like whatever your like perfect dream would be to you. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
3: he's been chasing mm -hmm. her. You know, he wants her. She has to leave. So, okay, happy ending. Look, the waitress is gonna be the, the woman you've been going
1: after. Or is it just he's opening himself up? Like because the, the one thing that Gene Kelly keeps telling him throughout the movie is you gotta open yourself up to these experiences, you know, you've got to chase after it. And is this mm-hmm. finally puts Sonny in a frame of mind where he's willing to take a chance on something and he sees in her what he saw in his, you know, kind of his fantasy? Like not, not even just looks-wise, but just hey, I'm willing to try something here. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, see, now we've entered into territory for me where the movie starts being bad about one minute before this scene.
1: Yeah, I'm actually kind of if, with you if, there.
2: If the movie would have ended with her singing Xanadu and you have the you know, build-up and then they shoot off into space as lasers, roll credits right there, and that would have been the ending. Everything yeah. after that just feels like, oh, this is a bad <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I like both I kinda like that, but I, I kinda like the this one too. But I, I see definitely see a point there.
0: Yeah. So I kind of feel like we're getting to the point where where we have to start getting into the, the music and the musical numbers and stuff. So I kinda wanna let's wrap up part one of our Xanadu discussion and I'll give you like like last words, any any final thoughts on kind of the movie part of the movie before we get into the, the musical bits. One
1: well, thing I I that really i like about this movie is it's got i mean i I know people are gonna scream that i'm comparing this to sunset boulevard but it's got sort of that same meditation on nostalgia and loss
0: you know i saw this movie airhead and it made me think about citizen kane (laughs) but it's got that
1: same sense of of somebody living now but with the shadows of their past are still very present in their life, like the ghosts of the past. Mm -hmm. And you see that throughout the movie. Like you see all these pieces of old Hollywood that are disappearing. You see things of his, of Glenn Miller or of Gene Kelly's life that are disappearing. He's trying to hold on to. And I feel like a lot of this movie is trying to hold on to that at the same time, trying to make it fresh.
0: Yeah. I feel like this is a film that, I don't know if I, well, my first thought is to say it ages well, but I almost to say like it ages, like, like this has to age. Like this is kind of like a wine that you, you drink it too soon and it's not good. Like, I don't think this movie works in 1980, but I think as like mm-hmm. a period piece looking back on the 80s and then sort of the 80s idea of the 40s. Yeah, I think you need like, yeah. it's like dark where you've got to go ahead. You've got to So it was 35 years from, from, you know, Danny being big and 45 until 80. And then you've got to go another 35 years to then look at what this was doing in 1980. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and maybe so by, by 2050, like this'll be a really good movie. <laughs> it's just, it just needs more time.
1: But it's also not our view of the 1940s. It's, the, the nostalgic view of people who lived through the 1940s who were involved in this, you know, which I think is interesting. Right. Right. Okay. But yeah. They're, they're trying to capture something from their past that I think is hard for us to see.
0: Um. So I want to thank Curtis blaze from the, from better off dead minute and Pete Mummert from Indiana Jones minute for, for joining us. Thank you listeners for listening. Come on back next time. We'll wrap up our Xanadu discussion Next time we'll talk about the music and then the musical numbers and dancing and all that. Um, until then we will see you on the next. Scene.